Hey everyone, welcome to the Delta Flyers. We are a weekly podcast that discusses episodes of Star Trek Voyager in chronological order. Your two hosts along this podcast journey are myself, Garrett Wong, AKA Ensign Harry Kim, and Robert Duncan McNeil, who portrayed Lieutenant Tom Paris. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> If you're interested in either an extended version of this podcast or the extended video version of this podcast, both of which include added bonus funny segments, check out our <laughs> Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the Delta Flyers and sign up today to become a patron. Robbie, you are rambunctious funny. today. I am a little rambunctious. You yeah, are funny content, you say. Funny I content. Funny. funny. Yes. Yes. Let's do funny today. It's season two. Yes, we're into season two. So exciting. Yes, it is. The 30, yes, the episode is called The 37s. It's Which, the, by uh, the way, just a reminder to everybody. So we filmed, um, I want to say, 20, 21 or 22 episodes. And they decided to stop season one at 17 and save some of our episodes. So this episode, The 37s, we filmed in the first season and then we aired it in the second season. So it's a very, it's a little bit of a confusing situation. And so that is, is uh, something that we talked about that we kind of got ripped off a little bit because we should have been paid a little bit more for second season we episodes. Should have had our season two raise, but we didn't. Bump. Yeah, we yeah, didn't. We didn't. That. Yeah, and it was, I mean, it wasn't that much of a raise. It was like a 10% no. bump, I think is what it was, you know? So, um, you know, a little bit of a raise. But um, it was also right. like story-wise, I think it was confusing. I mean, for me, going back on this rewatch, mm -hmm. it's been very um, informative and frustrating to to look back at, like, why did they stop at seventeen or sixteen? Like, why yeah. did they stop at learning curve? Because right. it was never intended to be our season finale, Correct. and the thirty sevens was building towards a season finale that we never actually aired. So it yeah. was a very it was a very confusing first season. Um, and I, and I felt that in watching, you know, rewatching some of those episodes, I felt like, why are we, we're kind of fizzling out here in our last couple episodes mm -hmm. in a way that, that seems odd. And it's because yeah. those were never intended to be the final episodes of our season. They were intended yeah. to be long before our final episodes. So yeah. 37s was intended to be building towards our finale and... And it ended up being our season premiere of season two. So, yeah. Do you think we could actually find out which episode was the actual last episode for of the season one eps that we filmed? You know what I'm saying? Like you're saying that it could, because if you're saying it was around 21 or 22, so that means really it could, it could be season uh, two, yeah. episode four, episode five. It'd be interesting if we could find out the exact final, final. Maybe Mary Howard would know this. Um, or Brad Jacobian, we, we contact those guys and ask yeah. them about that. The producers on the show that um, uh, should have that information, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I as I look back on it, it's interesting to to try to figure out because just from looking at episode uh, one, the thirty sevens <laughs> of season two, that was definitely shot in season one. Initiations, mm -hmm. episode two of season two, was shot in season one. Projections. Episode three, not sh I can't remember. I I'd have to go yeah. back. Okay. I feel like it was almost episode six, Twisted. Was, was, the, was the finale? Might have okay. been the finale or Non Sequitur, which was episode five. 
But, but well, yeah, we let's could... do our due diligence. We'll figure this out. I mean, we'll find out from somebody at some point. Yeah, because we definitely sure. yeah. shot a lot more episodes in season one than aired and then used mm -hmm. some of those episodes in season two. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So for our Patreon patrons, we're about to play a game of what do we remember? And for everybody else listening to this podcast, Robbie and I are going to take a quick break to rewatch the 37s and we will be right back with our discussion and analysis. Hey guys, we are back from our rewatch of the 37s and we are ready to begin our discussion. Yes, we are. Episode. Season two. Here we go. Season <laughs> two. So exciting. All right. So, so here's my thoughts about season two <laughs> starter. We're on a roll of very mediocre episodes. I'm Aww. just, I'm like, I was, my memory, when we were doing the, what do you remember? I was like, oh, it's a big episode. I remember Sharon Lawrence and I forgot John Rubenstein was in this episode. John Rubenstein is a legend. Like, by he, the way, his have you seen that man's resume? That is a long, long resume. When I started as a teenager, as an actor, one of my favorite theater pieces was Pippin, the, the musical Pippin. He was and the John, lead. He was Pippin. He played Pippin. And by the way, I've directed John Rubenstein in The Orville. I, I forgot he was in this episode. Yeah. But, but um, yeah, John Rubenstein, a phenomenal actor, a legend. Yep, and, and just so everyone knows, John Rubenstein plays John Evansville, the leader of the, uh, the, the humans that are on this planet, right? Yes. So yeah. um, he won an award for uh, Pippin in 1972. Uh, that was directed by Bob Fosse. And in 1980, he won a Tony for Children of a Lesser God, the stage yep. uh, production of that. And if you look at this man's resume, literally, it's, it's longer than, uh, than how tall I am. No, he's John Rubenstein is a, a legend. As an mm -hmm. he is an actor's actor. He has survived a career of so many different kinds of of, of characters and in different venues in television and film and theater. Mm -hmm. um, I had forgotten he was in this episode, and he's one of those actors that will show up and do his job without fancy credits or you know anything he, and and that's one reason i forgotten he was in this he just shows up and he does his work and he's phenomenal did you remember having an interaction with him while filming this episode no did i don't talk to him i don't okay. think so i don't think i was in i don't recall being in any scenes with him okay um, and in fact okay. when i directed him in orville a couple of years ago i wish i had remembered that because he played a very important role in an episode of the orville that i directed and um, I did not make the connection and neither did he. So we yeah. spent a couple of weeks together on, on the Orville and neither one of us made the connection that we had worked together. That's um, funny. Well, yeah. you did share some screen time with him on this episode. He comes onto the bridge and towards the end. Yeah, yeah. But that's it, it's a very quick scene. Very brief, yeah. But since you brought him up, let's talk about some of the other um, guest stars on this, on this uh, sure. episode. Um, there is an Asian American gentleman, a, a veteran Asian American uh, yes. actor of stage, film, and TV, Mr. James Saito, who's been around for quite a long time. Um, yeah, very nice, nice guy. Um, we had some conversations on the set while filming this. Um, 
very soft-spoken, very nice. Um, Mel Winkler, who plays uh, Jack Hayes, the farmer, the owner of that pickup truck, basically. He actually passed away June 11th of this year. So oh, we're talking about, wow. very sad to hear, I think it was of natural causes in his sleep. Um, but uh, Mel Winkler, uh, rest in peace, he just recently passed very, away. As very recognizable face, very familiar face. And mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Um, yep. I thought he was wonderful. I thought all the guest stars yep. were wonderful. Sharon Lawrence got a special credit playing Amelia Earhart in this episode. She My did. memory was that she had a much larger role as I watched the episode. I was like, oh, she didn't really do that much. I mean, she had one big scene with Janeway, but otherwise she was kind of part of the team. You know? Yeah, she was. I, I, you know, my memories of, of Sharon were when she came onto that bridge. Um, Kate was, it was during rehearsal. And I think there was this, it was this really interesting energy. It was this. It was this energy of this mutual admiration between two two actresses that were, you know, playing, you know, very uh, iconic roles. I mean, Kate yeah. obviously playing the first female captain, and and then Sharon playing the first female pilot from that era. They were admiring each other. Is what it was. It was yeah, a really. I, th I think also I know Sharon comes from the theater. Kate I think admired her resume. Um, again, because we didn't film this episode as a season premiere, right? Um, I did remember it. Uh, honestly, my my takeaway was my memory of this episode was that it was a much bigger episode than when I watched it. It was yeah. kind of a regular episode, except for the ship landing on a planet for the first time. <laughs> um, other than that, there was nothing particularly special or different or you know, season premiere or finale worthy of this episode. It was um, yeah. honestly mediocre, in my opinion. <laughs> well, okay, but better than the last two episodes of season one, I would say. Yes, I would say it was better, be and it started out better from the get-go because it involved the entire crew of our, of our ship. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, everyone was involved from the get-go, and that was something that's been missing the last couple episodes. So, um uh, for those that are listening, we should recap. So we are, uh, uh, you know, voyaging along in the Delta Quadrant, and we pick up some uh, iron, I think it is. We, we pick up some sensor readings of iron, and, um, and everyone is shocked by that because it seems out of place in the Delta Quadrant. We haven't seen those elements before, and they find a truck floating in space. Uh, from the 1930s, and they decide to land the ship on the planet, and they land and find some cryostasis chambers with some a number of people from the 1930s on Earth who have been abducted. One of them is Amelia Earhart. They realize that these people were abducted and by some aliens, and that there was a rebellion uh, from these abductees, and a whole new kind of Earth started on this planet. Voyager's crew has to decide whether they're going to stay here with these humans on this kind of new emerging human planet. And ultimately, the crew is offered the choice to stay or go, and no one chooses to stay. That's a good synopsis. I, um, Thank you. I didn't write a short poem for this episode, so I'll have to do it for the next one. Okay. A haiku or something? <laughs> yeah, the haiku. I, I, did. I just realized I forgot to write the poem for this, but that's okay. <laughs> we can do it in the next one. Or maybe I can come up with it and just... Or you can uh, just I'll slam it, it right can, now. We can slam poetry, you know. We, we, <laughs> Amelia Earhart on a planet. Voyager arrives. What are they going to do, damn it? 
will they stay or will they go? You'll have to watch because I don't know. How's that for a poem? Hey, I like the ending though. It was a Thank good thing. Um, oh, I forgot one of the other guest stars we didn't talk about was Fred Noonan, um, played by David Graff. David Graff is obviously um, very visible or at least recognizable from the Police Academy yes. movie series. Yes. And um, he played Tackleberry in there. And I remember being totally shocked to hear about his passing because he passed away in April of 2001. So this is probably towards the very ending of filming of Voyager that, um, that it was announced that he passed away while he was attending a wedding with his family in Phoenix, Arizona. He was at the wedding when he, when he had a heart attack. So uh, oh. very sad because he was uh, nine days away from his 51st birthday. Wow, and, young man. Uh, yeah, and I'm 51 now, so I'm sitting here going, man, Life wow. can be very short. You just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Make sure that's, you live every day. That's to its an fullest. Yeah, that's an amazing thing about this podcast we're doing, Garrett, is like going back and rewatching and, and recognizing some of the, uh, the colleagues that we worked with, the mm -hmm. actors and the people yep. that were involved in Voyager who yep. have passed away. You know, we talk about some of them, some come to mind. Uh, Cosmo Genovese, our script supervisor, mm -hmm. just passed away uh, last year. And right. Cosmo was our, he was on set with us. The script supervisor works with the actors to make sure we know our lines. And so the actors deal with the script supervisor quite intimately on a regular basis. And Cosmo was a great old school uh, script supervisor who I don't think we've talked about on this podcast, but he passed away last year and I uh, stayed in touch with Cosmo and I would I would FaceTime and send text messages and text videos to Cosmo over the years. I stayed in touch with him all the way to the end. And, and I had uh, no idea that you had that much contact with Cosmo. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Well, it was really because of uh, the reason I stayed in touch with Cosmo, our script supervisor, was because of our um, stunt coordinator. Uh, Dennis Madalone. Dennis okay. would go physically visit Cosmo there in uh, at the motion picture home, and and he would send me, I don't know why he he sent me some some texts and we started communicating back and forth and so hmm. I stayed in touch with uh, with Cosmo through Dennis Dennis's visits and uh, uh, feel really blessed and and honored that I was able to to kind of stay in touch with him near the end of his life and uh, he lived yeah. till his late 90s yeah. and um and was uh was a wonderful part of our star trek family so yeah this podcast has really uh, reminded me of how fast time flies and how lucky we are to have had that opportunity those seven years of that show with such wonderful people so yeah, and I would have thought that, that Cosmo would have passed away earlier because I remember on Voyager, he was already so old. At that point, I was yeah. like, you know, and he really outlived some other people who were younger than him that yes. passed away in the crew. Um, like Jerry Fleck, our, our, our wonderful first assistant director. We had two of them. We had, um, we had uh, Jerry and uh, we had, uh, I've already blanked the other person's Adele? name out of my head. Adele, yes, the incompetent Adele Simmons. One. I'm gonna say yeah. that right now, the incompetent one. We had one. <laughs> One really, really competent person, which was Jerry Fleck, and one not very competent person, which was... Uh, well, I would say, I, I would say that Jerry Fleck was a very seasoned veteran and certainly a, 
a reliable and stable personality on the Star Trek, okay. Star Trek okay. family. I think yeah. Adele was a she was not quite as experienced as Jerry Fleck, and sometimes for us as actors, the first ADs we rely on for organization and reliability, and sometimes production is just not reliable. And so Adele well, was much more affected by the ups and downs of production. Jerry was Jerry was able to keep a steady hand in spite of the challenges. Um, but we really relied on Jerry. And, and I was there on Enterprise, the series Enterprise. I was directing when Jerry passed away. So I was there on with the Star oh, Trek wow. family when, when he passed away. And we okay. actually shut down the day that Jerry Fleck passed away, the first AD. We did not film that day. Uh, Scott Macula mm. and Mary Howard and myself, we all decided that the crew was so affected by Jerry's passing yeah. uh, on Enterprise that we decided not to film. And by the way, when Gene Roddenberry passed away, they paused but continued filming that day. When Jerry Fleck mm. passed away, they stopped filming. They stopped. Yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a different kind of relationship the actors and the crew have with the, the onset, the front lines people. Um, and people like David Graff, you know, to get back yeah. to this, this episode. David Graff, uh, you know, an actor in our, in our episode. And, uh, and I didn't know that he had passed away so young and so long ago, but sad to hear. Can I elaborate a little bit more? I, I'm a very blunt person and I come out and I say what I want to say, right? And so yeah. when I say something about Adele not being competent, I need to elaborate and be very specific about this so I don't seem like I'm just slinging mud through the, uh, you know, through the universe. Um, one of the principal jobs for a first AD is literally, literally to schedule the day, okay? They, they're sort of the ones that have to get in contact with us, the actors, to tell us, okay, um, since you're filming, you're not in the first, you know, half of the filming of this particular shooting day, but in the second half, um, we're, uh, we're not sure exactly what time, but so we will call you, it's called a we'll notify, like we'll notify at 1pm, we'll call you at 1pm to tell you what time to come in later. Okay. Yeah. And so then they'll say uh, at 1pm, they're like, hey, you know, we're, we're running behind. So come in at 4pm. That's your, that's your hair and makeup call. Yeah. Um, whenever Jerry Fleck gave us a call time, uh, after a will notify or any call time that's on a call sheet, it was always almost dead on in terms of the correct, the right time to call us in. With Adele, she'd say, okay, um, I'm going to bring you in at 2 p.m. And I, there were so many times that I would come in after what Adele told me to the time that I was supposed to be there. And I would not see any action until six, seven, eight hours later. And that would infuriate me because she could never yeah. get that timing right. Okay. Yeah. She was and always airing. Like, she was, Adele would often air because she was less experienced. I think Adele would air on, yeah. let's get them there hours early. And Jerry was, was much more respectful of uh, actors, you know, human beings lives. And, and he yeah. would he would try to be precise about his time. So right, would, right. that's and, and true. She, okay, but she wasn't a newbie. She worked on other shows before this. Yeah. So my yeah. feeling is, you know, this is your job. Do it, do it the best that you can. And I think that the way she did it really inconvenienced our lives, our schedules, everything. Um, at some point later in this, I'm, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the fateful day um, where I got in trouble with production. Oh, let's get and a to lot that. Of it has to do with, no, let's not, get on, this, to not that. on this episode. <laughs> we, we are not doing it on this episode. So um, when I get to it, I'm going to set a lot of things straight because there's, all right. there's all types of, there's all types of rumors out there that they only re, that they were planning on firing me because uh, I, um, 
of all these things I had done on the set. And the only thing that saved me was that I was on uh, People Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People issue. And so they decided to fire Kess instead. Wow. There's all these type of crappy rumors out there that are not true. And I'm going to set this straight on this podcast when we get to the time that I- Great. That I'm, I'm excited for okay. that. So you, yeah. I'm so, looking yeah. forward to that episode. If there's anything to I don't know when it do. is, but I'm excited. <laughs> You're gonna All right, let's get back going. to the 37. Let's, so. let's get back to it. So we find that pickup truck in the middle of, of uh, <laughs> space. It's just floating, floating in space. So what, what exactly happened is my question. So the Briori, Why did, they leave? did the Briori capture, did they beam up everybody? And then there maybe that one ship that was heading back to this, this planet that they're now on yeah. had some, some issues where they were like, okay, we've got, a, we've got too much weight. We're, we're malfunctioning. We've got to ditch some weight. Let's get rid of the human It's the very strange why that's floating why in space. Is it, floating? it makes no exactly. logical sense because obviously the priority didn't didn't sort of make that truck into some type of spaceship and try to launch into space themselves that thing is just floating in space now we've beamed it into the cargo hold and as the as we see everyone walking around it um i was trying to make out i was pausing and then repause uh, rewinding repausing back and forth to see the license plate i think it says ohio I think it says Ohio. It's, okay. it's kind of it's it's tough because it's a it says Ford. It says truck on there, but I think Ohio is also on okay. There. I want to say that Tom Paris came in twenty six seconds into this episode, so I right knew there. it was going to be a good episode. You knew, yeah. I was like, okay, Tom <laughs> Paris is. You know, the last episode, I think it was like 38 or 39 minutes. Minutes, yeah. Which into is the literally episode. almost the this end was, of the episode. Yeah, this was thirty six seconds. I paused it. I was like, yes. No, I'm sorry, 26. I, I made a note, 26 seconds. So it's, I thought it was going to be a really good episode. Robbie, That's all I got to say there. I just want to share this with you. Yes. Yeah, remember, I brought this up yesterday, the other day, when we were filming the, the last episode we did. And I said that someone had sent in this little YouTube video showing screen time. And it's yeah. a bar chart. And it just keeps moving around. I didn't tell you that a lot of it, Paris was near the bottom. So, I know. I'm not, I'm, right so, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised, honestly. Okay. I mean, okay. I, I felt like he, you know, he was not around for a lot. They didn't know what to do with Tom Perry. <laughs> and this is the beginning. I love that this was the beginning of this idea of his 20th century knowledge when he was into the truck and he's walking around the truck and he's like, yeah. he knew about antique, gasoline power. Antique vehicles are yes. a hobby of mine, is what yes. you say. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was very happy that maybe now, finally, the first episode of season two, they figured out something that'll give them a spark of creativity yeah. of this character. Harry asked uh, Tom, is this an early hover car? And then you say, you're about a century too early for that. So this is a 1936 Ford, and we're about a century too early. So we're talking about 2036, which is 16 years from now. So sometime from now until 2036. So in, have, the next 16 years, yes. we should have a hover car. Let's do it. That's, Elon that's, Musk. Elon, Elon Musk, Musk, get on this, get my friend. Get on this, buddy. Yeah. Uh, this is the key. This yes. is the key. You've got to follow this. This is written by Jerry Taylor and Brandon Braga. Directed by your favorite man, James L. Conway. James uh, L. This Conway. is the first Jamie. time that Jim Conway, Jim Conway directs uh, an episode of, of Voyager. First um, one he directed of our show. He ended up directing the Enterprise pilot. So Jim yes. Conway became a very important Star Trek director. I did a little um, research into Jimmy Conway. 
Um, yes. He directed three TNGs, seven DS9, four Voyagers, and four Enterprise episodes. Oh. He also served as an executive vice president of Spelling Television. That so was he was a studio job. exec too, yeah, yeah, from 96 to 2002. And in 2012, believe it or not, he began writing novels. He wrote a novel called Dead and Not So Buried, another one called Sexy Babe, and a third novel called Cold Blonde. So wow. this is interesting because yeah. now, you know, later in, in his directing of Voyager, you had a little bit of a confrontation with Mr. Conway. I did have a little confrontation. We'll get to that when we get to that episode. But Yeah, yeah but, we can do that. But it's but, over a reading of a book and he ends up writing a book. So I think oh, this was kind of yes. like, wow, you know, I mean, hmm. Okay. Yeah. And we'll get to that when we get to that, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, just like we'll get into my, see, we're giving like juicy teasers here to the fans. Yeah. Yes, They're wondering, are. what was it about, you know, that happened with Garrett? And what was the conflict with Robbie McNeil and James Conway? Yeah, I don't know if, if Jim Conway realized it was a conflict. I think it was more a grudge that I held about that moment, you know. Just, I thought so too. I was thinking yeah, about it's that. Probably I more, like, more my grudge than his, but I, I yeah. felt a little bit. Um, you know what it was, Robbie? He called you out. He could have easily come up and just said something to you, but he called you out in front of the entire set, in yes. front of everybody, everybody, yes. the crew, the actors. And it was basically, um, it was a third grade uh, teacher talking to a student and kind of sternly, you know what I'm saying? And it's sort of like, I know you as who you are. You, you weren't a child at the time. You're, yeah. you're a man. And, and to be spoken to um, as if you were a child is uh, really just uh, yeah that was always less than a, human yeah it was it was a moment but we'll get to that in that episode okay. but we'll but, talk about uh, that but I I did always like uh, Jim Conway I still like Jim Conway I think he's an, a very interesting creative person I didn't know about all the novels I know that Jim Conway has gone on to do a lot of photography um, yeah gallery, gallery photography and he's he sold photographs in in galleries and things like that. He directed also on on the Orville. Um, Jim Conway uh, is, you know, is a colleague and a and a very talented director. And he's so, very talented. He's very, very talented. talented. He is. He did a wonderful job with the Enterprise pilot, and um, and this was his first episode of of Voyager. So, um, yeah, this this episode and 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 how Jim directed it, um, I think. My memory was it was much bigger, like I said earlier. Mm -hmm. um, in looking at it today, uh, it wasn't as big or epic as I remember. Yeah. Either directorially or from a writing standpoint, or even from a story standpoint, it wasn't. It wasn't as profound as I remember. Uh, my my general memory was like, wow, that was going to be that was one of our big episodes, a special episode, and it, it didn't seem as big as I remembered. Um, right. it, it was the first episode where we landed Voyager onto a planet surface. And so that was, you know, going to blue alert on the bridge. That was kind of a new thing. We'd never done that. You're the best pilot anyone can have, but you've That's never right. landed a ship though. So you That's were right. a novice in that. So when, Par when Janeway says, put her down, Mr. Paris, you have no comment. Instead of going, yes, ma'am, you were kind of nervous inside. So yes. You had no comment. And then you had to do this thing for the very first time. Yeah. Because at the very end of the show, when we're about to leave, she says all these things, Janeway says all these things to you, and you go, yes, ma'am. Like the yeah. confident yes, ma'am is there because you know how to take off. You well, I think she even says when we finally land, when I land the ship and we're on the planet's surface, she says, not bad for a beginner. Right. So it was the first yeah. time. 
Yeah, and, and, uh, and you did a great job because we didn't die. So you yeah. actually landed the ship. So we're yeah. very proud of you to do that the first time. But I, that, that look that Kim gives, <laughs> when he looks up, <laughs> say, that he says it all. It's sort of like, you don't, you've never landed this ship before or you yeah. don't know how to land a ship. It's kind of... You know, yeah, that was a big deal. That was a big mm -hmm. deal in terms of uh, the writers and, and kind of making uh, a choice to land the ship was a pretty, yeah. from uh, a series standpoint, a big, a big deal. I was disappointed I didn't go with you guys to this location. Where did you film the exteriors of this? Do you remember? Bronson Caves. It was Bronson? Oh. Yeah, it was Bronson. Um, so we're not too far away. You didn't miss much. I mean, you've been there before. You yeah. Know? Um, I have a question for you. When you're in the truck and you're about to start it up and you're looking for the key, where did you find the key? Because it almost looked like you found the key in the in ignition. The ignition. It yeah, yeah, it, it, just, looked, it's it like, looked like uh, it was just sitting there. And then did you also notice that truck's all beat up, rusted, and those keys are brand spanking new. Did you oh, notice that? no, I didn't that? notice that. <laughs> yeah, if you look at the keys, they're, they're, they're completely, funny. there's no rust on those keys. They were just, it's almost like those were keys that they just cut. They just cut those keys right before they filmed that particular scene. They're That's brand funny. new. Yeah, there's no there's no corrosion whatsoever, and there's a set of two. So you see one key and that's in the ignition, the other one's dangling down, and there's no corrosion. It's completely wow. completely pristine. The truck backfires, right? You hear the backfiring when you're yeah. starting the truck. Now, this to me was really comical because in everybody, the, nobody knows 20, what it is. Well, see, nobody should have. Janeway and Torres, they duck. Yeah. Why are they ducking? They shouldn't have ducked. This should just be a loud noise. You know, there should be just we should be startled, um, but there shouldn't be this ducking thing, which is what we would do in the 20th century. Tuvok pulls out his phaser. He's he pulls ready out to his fire. phaser. Exactly. Yeah. So everyone else is reacting as if they are living in 19, you know, 1995, right? They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're doing this 1995 reaction. I just want to bring up this little, just quick story. I remember watching on TV, they were televising like a high school championship football game. And at the end, there was like, I think there were some military people there and they either they either did like a 21 gun salute or something at the very end of the game. But I, the players were on the field and once all the rifles went off, every inner city kid hit the deck. Just, just hit the deck. Whereas all the white suburban football players, they just, they kept standing because Again, right. nurture nature. When you're raised in a, in a suburban white neighborhood, you're not used to gunfire and you're not used to taking cover. But if you're raised in Watts or Compton, you're going to take cover when you hear gunshot because that's how you save your life. You know, you don't get hit by by a, a stray bullet. And so um, I just I just remember seeing that so so clearly in my head watching that football game thinking wow look at the difference between the difference in the reaction the context yeah, the reaction of yes the context and then it's the same thing why the hell would you as a director why would jim conway tell janeway and torres you guys got a duck like you know you, they're not yeah. gonna know what that is gonna sound like we don't have yeah. that type of yeah it's funny I, I i thought it was a a comical moment in a good way that everybody ducked and but i see your point yeah to me, it was, I was like, I, I always, whenever on our show, there's a funny moment or a lighthearted moment, I'm very relieved. I love seeing it. I love seeing the sense of humor from characters, from our own characters, from guest stars. Uh, in the last episode, Shell, that character, the blue guy, I thought it was hilarious. I wish we could have kept him around. Um, I love seeing these comical moments. So to me, when that happened, the backfire happened and Janeway ducked down and Tuvok pulls the phaser, um, I went, I just went with it of like, oh, that's funny. That's funny.
<laughs> they don't know what a backfire is. They think it's a gunshot, but you're right. They wouldn't know yeah. a gunshot because yeah. yeah, they're not familiar with it. Uh, when we go down on the planet and we come up on, upon Amelia Earhart's plane, I'm, I'm yes. guessing that was her plane, you know. Yep. Um, it's very weathered, except for one portion, the hub of the propeller, the very end of that little, the center oh, part of the propeller. Shiny. It's shiny. It's, it's like, what? It's like, what is going on here? And it's like the keys from the, from the pickup, super shiny. The end of that. So I feel these are things that, like, which, which team, which part of the production team should have been responsible for that? It, the, would, it, would it be props? That would, would have set, been set design then? That would I mean, have been the art department. So production, art department. yeah, set, okay. art department, set design. Yeah. Our, our on-set decorating crew right. would have been responsible for that. Yeah, so they missed That's that. That's the kind like, of thing, when you're like when I'm directing, um, even though there are departments that should think about all these things, when you're out there actually about to roll camera, that's when the director has to be looking at all of that. Okay. And go, you know, not just the director, but the ADs and the script yeah. supervisor and everybody. Yeah. And so when things like that happen, shiny keys or shiny propellers, it, it, it means that a number of people who just weren't paying attention to that. Okay. They, were, they were more focused on other things. Cause okay. Yeah, so, they, so there's basically, yeah, there's multiple fail safes beyond the set design, the property, I mean, the art, art department that yeah. should have caught that. The first AD should have saw that. The director should have saw that, right? Yeah, so somebody things, should have said, hey, that's really shiny. Let's dull that down yeah, or put some that dirt up. on it or something. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and off, and that happens all the time. Uh, on sets when you're doing a scene, you know, that somebody will, somebody will catch it. You hope that the director sees it or the script supervisor or the writer, if they're on set or, yeah. you know, the art department, someone from props or somewhere on right. set decorating. There's a lot of people that should be looking at that, but they're looking at a thousand things, Yeah, you know, and sometimes they, they overlook, we overlook, I will overlook the most obvious. And it's funny when I'm directing a show, Sometimes someone will come up and say, hey, you know, that propeller is really shiny. Do you want to dull that down? And I'll think like, God, of course, now that you point it out, it's totally obvious. But no one, because we're looking at a thousand things, you don't notice the one thing that's right in front of your face. And so, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. You know, this is centuries later. She, she meets, Janeway meets Amelia Earhart and knows everything about her. And I was, it seemed strange to me. <laughs> it just yeah. seems like... It just seemed convenient that she happened to know all of this, right? Um, right. At least the way it was laid out in the script. Um, yeah, I also felt that the Thirty Sevens, if they were so revered by the human descendants, why didn't they keep that glass enclosure clean? <laughs> like yeah. we find them, she's got to rub all that dirt off. All the, and all I know, the... I, yeah, and I know the the you know that Rubenstein talks, his character talks about we haven't been in there in generations inside there. I'm like, well, if you if you guys really sit here and worship these guys, uh, why wouldn't you? Yeah, have maintenance crews come in there and upkeep that interior of that you know that chamber. I don't know. Yeah, I also felt like you know Janeway before we open the the uh, doors. Janeway's like, well, should we do this? Should we not do this? And she's like, yeah. you know, if we if we really want to figure out a way to go home, you know, maybe we should. And Tom Paris says, open it up. And I felt You're like the there was there was a moment of warp part. I could have had a warp particles moment with her. That, that was your like, why didn't they have the back and forth with Janeway <laughs> and Paris going? And what about this? And then this? And then yes, and open the doors. 
wake them up like wake that them up. yeah 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 that I, was I, your i kind of yeah. wanted a warp particles moment that should be your do-over yeah that's yeah all right <laughs> fine that's gonna be my do-over <laughs> do you remember when we we're opening them up and then we have to grab the um hypo sprays from kess right so kess because we open up the doors oh, yeah. and we wake, we were gonna wake them simultaneously. So you walk first, and Kess hands a hypo spray to you, and you kind of look at her and you grab it. I don't even look at Kess or the hypo spray. I grab. It's like a no look pass in, in the NBA. I'm like, it's cool. like that. I walk past and grab it. It is cool looking, but I also feel like maybe I was a victim of the repetitiveness of the art industry, which is we film the same scene over, you know, over Maybe. And over again. I thought it was cool. I felt like we were like, you know, we were in sync there we on a, a mission. Yeah, yeah, I bought that. We, I bought we it. We were very teamy, when, especially when Noonan pulls out the gun. Both you and I, boom, right? We had the phasers out in a yeah. second. By the way, right. Noonan pulls out an old 20th century gun. We've that got may not six, even work. Yes. That may not even work. We got six phasers on him and somehow he's able to disarm all of us with these phasers. And we're just like, sure, we'll, yeah, we'll I, hand over our phasers that are, that he would not even know what exactly. hit him. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. The speed of which, which we would have taken him out with that phaser would have been faster than his reaction time to pull the trigger to shoot yeah. Janeway. You see yeah. what I'm saying? So yeah. we both agree on that. That was a little bit of a hole in the screen. I did not buy that Come he disarmed on. us with the, the old uh, revolver in his hand. No. Yeah. Mm, I didn't buy that either. That was kind yeah. of a bummer. Yeah. Um, and, oh, and in this episode, when we wake them up, it's it's the first explanation of the universal translator in our, in yeah. our series, yeah, right? That's true. Because uh, James Saito's character comes around and says, wait, you're all right. speaking Japanese. And like yeah. that, like, no, you're speaking English. And we realize it's the universal translator, which is built into our comm badge. And that's, you know, and that's something that is a given throughout all of Star Trek series that yeah. a lot of people who watch Star Trek for the first time are always kind of scoffing at like, well, how come that alien speaks, speaks English? And they kind of kind of look down upon our stuff. And, and I think what's well, because you don't know about the universal translator, yeah. which is a, yeah, that a was convenient a good... writer's you know, tool yeah. to, to make sure that we yeah. speak English. Yeah. How yeah. do you pronounce the word A-T-O-L-L? -L? Sharon Lawrence, uh, her character talks about lo looking to make a landing on the Atoll. Yes, I say atoll as, atoll as well. She said atoll. Really? Atoll. Yeah, she pronounced atoll. it atoll. And I was like, what the heck? I thought wow. it was atoll. So. Do you remember in our scripts, so for those of you, um, if we haven't talked about this, we would get our scripts each week and there would be a pronunciation guide page early on in our script. Do you remember that? that yeah. That would have like the alien race and alien words and mm -hmm. anything. So any techno babble. Any yeah. techno babble, so that we were all speaking with the same pronunciation, pronunciation right. of right. of any you know made up words. Right. And so the, the, in the script, when you first turn the page, it has the title page of the script. Mm -hmm. and you turn the page; it's got the character list. You turn the page; it's got a set list. You turn the page, and it's got a pronunciation page, which is not normal. Most shows do yeah. not have that. Most yeah. normal TV shows don't have a pronunciation guide. Yeah. So, um, and, and evidently the pronunciation guide excluded atoll. Yeah, yes. it wasn't in there. And it doesn't, and also it doesn't have censors in there because Tim Russ's pronunciation of censors and our censor is yes. you know, a little bit off too. But that was nice and interesting and unique that we had a pronunciation guide, that's correct. Yeah, 
I thought it was a really awkward uh, love confession, by the way. When oh my god, uh, <laughs> when Noonan when tells her Noonan's in the in the in the sick bay, and he's like, "I love you, I love you, I just want you to know." And then he's fine. He's like, he's forget like, every, forget uh, everything I said. Forget <laughs> I said that." Uh, he was very funny. Oh my god! I also noticed when I'm walking into the the uh, Mila's plane for the for the first time to check out that the signal the, the SOS yeah. signal um they oh my god the, the makeup it was just packed on i had so much makeup on my face it just really yeah we yeah we used um you know all uh, the makeup artists all used uh, this pancake heavy makeup and that day was very heavy i wow. it just i just looked like uh, just way too much you know i mean i think I think there's a fine line between how much makeup you can put on an actor's face and not look like makeup, right? You have yeah. to be a little bit, uh, you have to Star Trek was never that. known to be a subtle makeup or hair show. You know, the, yeah. the wigs, the buns of steel, all of that yeah. was pretty, pretty heavy handed. Right. I did feel like it was a bummer that uh, we, we sort of glossed over this, this series point where this, this revolt of the slaves of the 37s the the yeah. slave revolt that turned away the briori the the mm -hmm. the race the that, that had yeah. um abducted them they could have been an opportunity for us to get home and we didn't really explore that much it was like well you guys you know this revolt that you had turned away the briori but where are the briori where you know we we need to find the briori because that's a way to get well, home they abducted they you guys Yes, they talked about the ship was completely destroyed that the Briori had, you know, that they yeah. rebelled against. So we don't know anything more about the Briori. And well, I, I felt my... We that, didn't go down that road at all. And I felt no, like no. for series, like Janeway should have been on, on that immediately of like, wait a minute, the Briori, let's tell us everything you know about the yeah. Briori. Where can we find them? Where, you know, are they close by? Is there any way that we can contact them? Any of that, because that would have gotten us home. But instead we sort of focused on this, oh, there's humans on this planet. Should we just give up our, 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 you know, attempt to go home and just settle here? That became the focus. We didn't deal with the fact that we had an opportunity, a connection, if we had done the work yeah. to try to contact the Briori, find the Briori. I don't remember us ever bringing up the Briori in another episode, but. No, we didn't. And I really, as a fan watching this episode, I was really just, wanting to see an image of the Briori. I want to see yeah. what they look like. I want to yeah. see, I want to know more about who these people are. I just, I, but all they did was refer to them in, in you know, in yeah. expositional lines and that was it. We didn't see yeah. anything else with them. And so that, that was a missed opportunity and a loose end for sure. I also um, found that when uh, John Rubenstein's character, he says, you know, we've got three beautiful cities 50 miles from here. When he said miles, I was like, wait a minute, how do you know miles? Like you guys, how did you get you know, a hundred thousand people or whatever, however many humans there are now, whose children are they? Are they Amelia Earhart's children? Like who had the children that became this new race of humans? Where, where, who are you related to? Which of these humans? That yeah, were well, none of the, none of the ones in the stasis tubes, obviously. I think it was the other, because they said they abducted like three or 400 humans in 1937. So some yeah. of them were not put in stasis tubes. And why, why some were and why some weren't, that was never answered. So we yeah. don't know that. So yes, so obviously the ones that were used as slaves that were not in stasis tubes became the 
the the forefathers of the, the current 15th generation of, of yeah. um, humans that were still alive on that planet. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of backstory that they could have really uh, gone into and explored, but um, it was a victim of the 42 minute, 43 minute uh, constraints. It's hard, that we have to, it's deal hard with. <laughs> to, to squeeze in everything we want. You know, it's easy to go back and like we're doing and, and rewatch these episodes and look for all the things that we wish were in there. And I'm sure the fans feel the same way. Like, yes. you know, they, they, they want to know the, what happened between the scenes that are on, on the show. But uh, yeah, I like how when we were being held hostage by Noonan, you sit there and you say, he's had a few nips from that flask, Captain. Maybe, maybe we could probably, we could probably rush him and get the gun. So you say this and I'm going, that's so funny because Robbie McNeil had a few nips from his flask before we did this <laughs> you <know>. podcast. <laughs> It was a summer day and I was out by the pool. It was I'm not nice. judging you, man. I'm just okay. saying okay. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome that, that you know, the you can, one day you that can you can rush had... me. You can <laughs> rush me if you want. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to gang tackle you from thousands of miles away. But I just think it's pretty awesome that how coincidental That's that funny. the one episode where your character says, cause you never ever refer to anybody drinking. I don't think ever again in this series, probably not. but you do it in here talking about a few nips from the flask and our conversation in the pre-production meeting was I've had a few daytime cocktails. You've had a few adult <laughs> beverages, you know, <laughs> it's a great day. My yard looked great. I decided to drink a little bit. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'm going to need to sober up a little bit before we do this podcast. So uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I just thought it was awesome that this, that your character said that. <clears throat> I thought I got a question for you. So Janeway yeah. says at one point, she says that we have 152 men and women on Voyager. Yeah, she does. Is that the consistent number that we always talked about? I feel like we talked about a lot of different numbers of crew members on Voyager. That's a new number for me. I always felt I knew that the crew complement, meaning how many it's supposed to hold, was yeah. one one seventy something. Okay, so I always thought we had hundred and seventy something plus uh, the maquis that we took on board. Like I thought we yeah, had so more. Then maybe it would be more. But and and through time, obviously, we lose people from you know. Yeah, we have, we have and casualties and stuff. Sure. Yeah, but we're so early. We're still pretty early. How do we have one fifty? Yeah, that yeah. doesn't seem right, right? It seemed so that, wrong to me too. I, I'd be was... curious, maybe the fans can kind of track this a little and yeah. see if, if numbers are brought up again, because 152 seems small to me. Yeah, um, this is like the numbers episode, right? So 152 yes. cr crew complement. About mm -hmm. 100 years before the hover car, first hover car comes out. And yeah. we actually talk about- 300 people on the planet. Yeah, 300 on the planet. Math. There's a I lot say, of math in this episode. Yeah, there is. Kim says Mars was colonized by Earth in 2000, 2003. So yeah. Yeah, that number's thrown yeah. out there. Um, it's just, it's a lot of numbers. It's a math yeah. episode. Did you notice the lighting? Because we landed, because the ship was landed on the planet's surface, when Janeway was in her ready room and some of those scenes where we had blue sky outside, yes. we never Flash. have blue sky outside. We yeah. always had space outside. Yeah, it's it kind of very cool. different to see these rooms with blue sky outside and the lighting, the sunlight coming in on yeah. her face, I thought was really beautiful. It was it was a yeah. nice change and, a, and just a little detail that that I, I enjoyed seeing in those scenes. I also feel that the whole the capability to land, I think this may be the first starship to do that. Maybe. Really? I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't recall. 
uh, any other starships with struts and you know landing like that, you know. So yeah. I, I feel like that was a big deal when we were we were yeah. talking about this episode. I just gotta say, I you know, as we get into the episode and we're we're watching it at this point, um, the idea of the crew members staying on this planet mm. and not going home came up. Yeah, I just found it hard to believe that our crew members, any of our crew members. I wasn't surprised when later on when Janeway walks into the cargo bay and nobody's there to stay. I wasn't surprised. I was like, I, why would anybody? I mean, honestly, I think this would have been a better episode if each of the crew members, Tuvok and, and Kim and Paris and Bellana Torres, every character had a scene or a moment or a, a little place where they were talking, where they considered staying and argued for why maybe I should stay here because I'd never got invested in this idea that the crew was going to stay on this planet. And that well, was they did fun. have two scenes though, Robbie, the, the scene with Chakotay and Janeway talking about whether or not to stay. About but they whether, were talking, they feel. are the crew going to stay? But we never saw the crew actually saying, Hey, here's why I think it might be a good idea to stay. Never. Well, you saw Harry and 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 Bellana talk about it, right? Briefly, Harry and Bellana very briefly. Because yeah, the beginning of that scene, it, it was basically Bellana saying, "You're thinking about staying?" Is is like, and then I said, "Why? I'm not." I said, "I'm not really thinking. I'm just, you know, I just, I just feel like it reminds me of home and stuff like that." So, I, you're right. It would have been nice to see everybody react to that and have this dilemma between whether or not to stay or not. But again, to me, it would have been interesting though if, when she opened that door, if we felt like any one of these many characters, yeah, might which one of these characters is going to decide to stay, and none of them did. I never believed that Harry was going to stay. I never believed that Tom, that anyone that we cared about. Okay. In fact, Baxter and Jarvin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who the hell are Jarvin and Baxter? <laughs> no one's ever heard of well, them. Again, we're talking about characters that the audience has never heard of, that they're never going to care about. And I'm like... But then uh, that's why I expected to see the people that you never see, a few of them, in the cargo bay. I felt that a few non But nobody cares about there. them. That's what I'm saying. I understand that's that. That's the whole point I'm saying. Like, if, if they had been talking in a number of scenes about Tuvok's going to stay, he really wants to stay here, or Paris is going to stay, or Harry Kim is going to, he really misses Earth so badly. And even though he wants to see his family, he wants to connect with humans here. Like yeah. if there had been a buildup, but Baxter and Jarvin, I'm just confused. I don't know who I they are and I don't care who they are, honestly. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. I believe in that. But again, when you're handcuffed by a 42 minute time limit of an episode, because you got to put commercials in, you, you can't really deal with that. If, yeah. the, if the episode was a, was one hour or an hour, 10 minutes of screen time. Yes. You're going to have every, the buildup. And so they, the writers, I bet they felt, okay, this episode with Kim and Torres, that'll help set it up for people to be invested in this. Yeah. And the conversation that Jane and Chakotay have as they're walking down the corridor to the cargo bay, specifically talking about people that they really think are gonna stay because of, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's gonna give people the feeling that, um, because I, I did believe, I did believe as a viewer, as a fan, that at least somebody was gonna be in that cargo bay. And the fact that nobody was, that was the feel good moment. That was the tear jerker moment for, for, for the audience, you know, yeah. seeing Janeway. Mm -hmm. And I really, really, and I really wish they let her, 
let her, let her shed a damn tear. You know what I'm saying? They cut yeah. that crap out. They were like, nope, can't have Janeway being emotional. She's got to be see tough Chicote's, as nails. Did you see Chakotay's hand on her shoulder, though? No, I didn't. Oh, was yeah. It, what, Just before was, the door opens, he says something like, he says something like, no matter what happens, we'll be okay. And he puts his hand on her shoulder. I was like, oh, that's provocative. That's a little foreshadowing of, of Janeway and Chakotay. Jane, Chakotay relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice intimate little hand on the shoulder moment. See, that's yeah. a good thing that there are two of us doing this because you will catch moments that I will yeah, not catch. Right. I will catch shiny keys that you will not catch. That's right. So you that's know, right. This, is, this is important. Um, let's go back a little bit to when we're exiting the cave and Noonan gets shot. And so in the script, Kim is the one to go over and drag him out of there. Now, when we, you know, in theory, that's, that's, that's great. Yes, it's very simple. Kim goes to Noonan, who's injured by the, by the gunfire, the phaser fire, and drags him to safety. Yep. David Graff is a six foot three, two, definitely 200, I'm guessing 240, maybe, you know. I mean, he, he was a big guy. He's a big guy. And I remember when I grabbed him from underneath the arms and just tried to pull, couldn't move him at all like not even an inch and i was and you know and i'm not a i'm not a small man either you know i'm i'm five eleven it's funny thing is when i meet people at conventions yeah. they always say wow you're taller than i thought because typically in hollywood let's face it if you tell if you meet sylvester stallone uh um tom any of these cruise, big tom yeah, cruise these small. guys are all they're all five foot seven five foot eight that's it okay yeah. so when they meet me at five eleven they're like damn like you, you're taller than we thought because guess what Robbie McNeil is is taller than I am. Tim Russ is taller than I am, and, and, and all the other yeah. guys. We have tall guys on our show. Yeah, we did. We have the only the tall, only short tall, man yeah. that we have is Ethan Phillips. He's the only short guy. Everybody yeah. else is tall. Tuvok's tall. Chakotay's tall. The doctor's tall. Everybody's tall. So yeah. Um, but even at five eleven, and 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 at, the, at at twenty whatever six years old I was at that time, twenty five years old. Dragging a six foot three, 200 plus pound man was impossible. So you see then in, in that take, he had to use his legs to shuffle, right? He's pushing on his leg. Right. He was using his legs to help propel himself backwards while I'm dragging him because he was so heavy. And I, and I told Jim Conway, I was like, there's no way. Because he's like, can you do this faster? I go, no, I can't pull him any. I mean, literally, I'm pulling him, and it's he's going like an well, it's inch funny a in, minute. In television or film, often writers will write things like that, like and, you know, they, this character runs over and throws him over his shoulder and pulls him away from danger. Yeah. and you're like, that's physically not as easy as you just wrote it. Exactly. Like, physically, yeah. for a human being, a real live human being, yeah. to go do that is hard. Yeah. I remember in the last episode, Chicote went up and grabbed uh, the Bajoran, young Bajoran kid in the cargo bay and had to carry him down some stairs. And I thought, wow, that, that must have been stuntmen there because, because you can't just throw somebody over your shoulder and carry no. them across a room. It's not easy, for, especially not for an actor, um, you know, to do. It, that's a stunt. That's a stuntman yep. thing. For sure. Yeah. So now we're when we're um, so we're, we're we're taking fire. Not only are we taking fire, but the away team, the, the security detail has come to sort of save us, which is yep. led by Chicote. He's under fire in, in a different area. Yeah. And Janeway, you know, on her combat, she says, um, Janeway to Chicote, I can see you from here. Lay down phaser fire. I'm going to circle around to your left. Try to come at them from the rear. Now, 
this is when she runs away from us. You only see a little split reaction of her running, but it's a very awkward run. And this oh, was something, this remember. is something like this, because you weren't there in this scene, but in this, in this particular uh, uh, scene, they omitted some of the footage, okay? Because you just see her kind of creeping away, but it's a very awkward run. But her actual run, which Conway does have footage of her kind of running off into the bush. Yeah. It was so unathletic looking. And I talk about this at conventions and I actually, I actually really? imitate, I imitate this run. I've done this and I, I apologize Kate uh, to Kate, but it, it's it, for, for airing this dirty laundry, but you don't know how to run. You just don't. I mean, it's just <laughs> like, it's, it's the, it's this really awkward sort of like, Ehh. and I, and I do it on stage at conventions. And, and then I tell the fans after that day, in filming the 37s, never again do you see Janeway running. It's always Jane, Chicote, run over there. It's like she's telling everybody else That's to run funny. after this because I'm sure the writers are watching the dailies and saying, oh my gosh, no, that's the captain? It's I mean, that's funny. It's funny how different actors just have a natural, like I have a very Frankenstein kind of run. I know that. I've known it since I was a younger okay. act before Star Trek. Like, yeah. and, I, and I'm very self-conscious of it, honestly. I'm very, right. like when I used to run, it's very, I'm not a good runner. I was not a runner in high school. I was not, running was not my athletic um, okay. thing. And so yeah. my, my run is very Frankenstein-y and I try to, and because I'm aware of it, because it's been pointed out to me before, uh, when I run, I really try to like make it a little more graceful. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's funny like writers will write things and every actor's got just certain you know built in burned in baked in kind of qualities that that are their strengths and some are not their strengths and that i i, I wasn't aware of that but maybe yeah, you know I, that athletic venture. stuff is not is not kate's strength well i'm gonna say this i'm gonna say the majority the percent the large percentage of actors if you talk about them being the more artistic type when they were in high school they were doing drama then they're not on any athletic team they're doing right. drama you know what i'm right. saying so they don't have i would say 80 percent of actors are uncoordinated not athletic they become, are, yeah. they're not athletic uh, robert beltran chakotay was the uh he was the um captain and quarterback of his football team in high school so he's very athletic um i i come i'm not boasting but i come from a long line of like my grandmother was tennis champion in, in college my grandfather was uh, uh, and right. My right. parents are very, un they have no athletic ability, but right. I, I think it skips generations. So, yeah. I, and I played a lot of sports, you know, so I, I, when I saw Kate running that day, I was literally like, oh no. <laughs> I mean, it was, I've never, honestly, I mean, if you think about it, watching somebody run shouldn't be cringeworthy. But that day I was like, oh no, 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 no. I almost thought it was a joke. I thought Kate was gonna turn around, just kidding everybody, I don't really run like that. I run like this. And then she would do a Jamie Summers Bionic Woman really cool run. Right. She, didn't, she didn't do that. It was the most awkward, uncoordinated uh, oh, no. thing that I'd ever seen. And I felt That's so That's the mad. magic of filmmaking is you can like, cut all that stuff out and make you anybody, <laughs> you can make anybody look good, even me. Make me look good. I've never, you know what? It's interesting that you say you have a Frankenstein plotting type of a gait. I've never known that you were yeah. you were that like okay. Yeah, I'm so, I'm a little self conscious about it. When this pandemic's over, I think we're gonna you go and for I a run. Sort of, we should go for a run, and we should film ourselves running to show all the yeah. fans what we're doing. You know, okay. Uh, right. And uh, and again, I apologize to Kate, but I mean, it's the god honest truth. I was I was 
been really just mortified to watch her do that run. And I've, and I feel bad that I've, I've told people over the years at convention about it, um, but it's, it's the truth. And I, I tend to put my foot in my mouth and just <laughs> say whatever I'm going to say. And that was, yes, uh, you do. That was one of the things. I will yes, agree. I do. Yes, you do. <laughs> All so right. coming off of the last couple episodes, and I know those were not intended to be the end of season one, but they were very disappointing episodes. And okay. then my memory of this episode was that it was much bigger and cinem more cinematic and yeah. more grand and epic. And I was very disappointed. This was not intended to be a season okay. premiere. Again, it started off good with our whole cast involved in the story, but it just became filled with plot holes and missed opportunities. And um, I was not thrilled about this episode. I, I want to bring up your reaction when Janeway shows up on the bridge after she and Chakotay have left the cargo bay and discovered no Voyager crew members are there. Yeah. They show up on the bridge and Tuvok makes the captain on the bridge comment yes. and everyone stands up. So you see And I Janeway. covered my butt. I covered yes, my butt. You, I don't know you if you noticed, your... but I, I turned around and covered my butt. You, well, you put your hands behind your yeah, back. I, put my I don't know if you're covering your bum. But then it shows your, your coverage, your reaction to Janeway looking at you. And you do this really interesting little smirky smile where the right half of your, your face smiles and then the left half smiled up. So it's like typically when people smile, both sides go up. But you did a right side and then a left side. Like you had independent control of your facial muscles. And I don't know if you caught that or not. So maybe, I'd, maybe okay, I'd like you to go back and take a look at that. Okay. <laughs> I wrote that down. I go, Paris on bridge smiles on the right and left side of his face. So yeah. he's got, he's got. Independent <laughs> control. Independent control. Yeah. Very, I'm very, right. a very specific actor. You are, you are. Yes. What is your, uh, what's your take on the underlying message out of this one? that you know the 37s and some new planet is like a step backwards and we're headed home like that's now okay. like the thing for our crew and our ship is we are on our path we may not like it but that's the path we're on and we've got to stay here and now and not try to go back and live in some uh 1930s earth some some planet that has you know no, no problems in these brand new cities or whatever. You can't go back. You got to okay. stay where you are. So yeah, that's okay. my, my theme. So stay in the present, move forward, not live in the past, not yep. go backwards. That was my, okay. my theme. Yeah. Well, what about you? This one was a little tougher for me to find an underlying message, to be perfectly honest. I was sitting there going, hmm, because maybe I was also equally underwhelmed as you were, like thinking, oh, this is going to be an amazing app. And then, oh, wait a minute, not as big as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Right? So, so then I was sitting here struggling with that. But then I do remember one particular um, bit of dialogue between Janeway and I think it was Chakotay, where she was yeah. talking about how interesting how when after they had toured the cities or the settlements of these these humans on this planet, how similar they had evolved to um, our civilization on Earth. Yeah. And she said, she goes, it's remarkable. You know, our, our civilizations are, are, are thousands of light years away, but we both evolved to the point where there is no war and no poverty. War and poverty do not exist. Yeah. So really, again, um, I think it's that message that this is what we need to strive for. You know, yeah. as a society, we, we need to be definitely more utopian than dystopian. We need to think about um, um, eliminating 
armed conflict, eliminating poverty. You know, they, mm. they, nobody should be should be uh, having to want uh, need you know food and, yeah. and shelter. That should be provided. You know, that should happen. Um, and nobody should be killing anybody else. You know, that's yeah. for sure. So, yeah. um, so really, the underlying message for me was really that that particular dialogue between her and Chakotay. That's a, that's a very optimistic and very it is. Yes, a very positive message. I like that. I like okay. it. Nice. You like that? Yeah. Well, thank you to everybody out there listening to the Delta Flyers podcast, our discussion and analysis of the 37s. Stay tuned next week when we will be discussing and analyzing initiations, the next episode. And mm -hmm. Robbie, do we have a special guest on that next episode? I think we do have a very special guest and it's a hmm. special, special episode for us in a lot of ways. So yeah. uh, I hope everybody can tune in for it. Yeah. There you go. We're going to have a nice, nice time with a special guest. So exciting. All right, guys, live long and prosper. Mm -hmm.